Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we have honest, raw, explicit conversations about sex, pleasure, joy, and connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of the resources we generate for you so you can experience more pleasure more joy, and deeper intimate connection on your own terms. You'll find it all at PleasureMechanics.com. On today's episode, we are sharing a conversation with our friends at the Open Nesters podcast. Over at the Open Nesters, they host conversations about opening up relationships and deepening intimacy, especially at that later phase in life where you've raised kids together or maybe had a blended family or you're coming into each other's lives later in life and opening up at that phase. And they welcomed us onto their show. And though our child is not yet eight years old, Um, Charlotte and I have been opening up our relationship again. We started open, went into more of a mono-devoted period, and are now opening up again. And we had this rich and delightful conversation, not only about our opening up process, but also about how we got started and fell in love through meeting in this field of sexological bodywork and falling in love through touch and teaching touch. Um, So we asked... Tessa and Amir, the hosts of Open Nesters, if we could share this episode with you, um, because we've heard from you all in the past that you like to hear us talk about our origin story and how this work impacts our most intimate realms. And yeah, this is one of many conversations we'll have about this. It's feeling a little vulnerable for me today because you'll hear in this episode me introduce uh, the first person I fell in love with. Uh, during this opening up period and I just got dumped (laughs) I just got broken up with um, yesterday and I can hear it in my own voice as I introduce this episode and so we are living this work and doing our practices and feeling our feelings right along with y'all Um, And we've always been open to sharing our story, but also this podcast is not about us. We've never thought Pleasure Mechanics was about us. Um, It's about the communal wisdom we all share together as a global community of tens of thousands of explorers, of brave souls that dare to feel and love and touch and connect in this scary ass world, you know. So I'm feeling tenderhearted, but very happy to also share this episode with you. You will find links to the Open Nesters in the show notes. As always, you will find links to continue this conversation, to hook you up with resources and more. And as Chris said, this conversation will continue. So if you have any questions or reflections or thoughts about opening up, please feel free to send us a voicemail message at pleasuremechanics.com slash hello. We would love to hear your thoughts, questions as we continue Mm -hmm. a conversation about this going forward. We're continuing our conversation for sure. Absolutely. And I know so many people are opening up their relationships and exploring this. So we will continue this conversation. So Mm. let us know what's on your mind. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm in my first adult heartbreak, it feels like. And 
exploring and you know and like i said to my friend the other day it's like as much as i'm feeling it it's also like generating so much empathy for some of the pain that you all talk to us about um and i'm feeling it and i'm feeling it along with you um so even if this topic going in like you think about open relationships and you think oh i could never or what about jealousy or what about heartbreak or you're opening yourself up to hurt like I'm feeling that all with you too. And also here to say like, this is not just about um, multiple sexual partners. It's about scaling love and scaling care and practicing care as an ethic around our relationships, our friendships and our community. And even amongst this heartbreak, you know, I'm feeling so much and feeling that heartbreak is not a metaphor. It's a physical sensation I'm also simultaneously big enough to feel it all, as we say here, um, feeling so loved and supported by my wife and my child, by my friends, my circle of community, right? When we talk about opening up, it's not just more sex partners. It's about scaling care. It's about opening our hearts and our lives to caring more deeply for more people and for ourselves, doing more for ourselves, the things that light us up and letting that be a connective force in our lives, a positive fuel for all that we do. Um, so yeah, like I'm in the heartbreak, but I'm also in the expansion and just really feeling like this is about something so much more than having more than one sexual partner. And so I invite you all to think about how this might touch your life what new connections or what old connections you might want to deepen, um, reunions you might want to have with old friends. I've been getting on the phone with some of my oldest friends recently, and that is so nourishing. These people that have known us for such a long time, like where can we open our lives and our hearts to receiving and sharing and generating more love. Cheers and thank you so much to our friends at the Open Nesters podcast. You will find links to their entire podcast archive and a collection of wonderful conversations in the show notes. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We're the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Chris and Charlotte of Pleasure Mechanics. And we hear this all the time. All the time. That people write to us and they say after their kids have left the house, they have more time, they have more energy, and they are literally having the best sex of their lives. And I really want people to know that because I feel like it's so counter to the ideas that we have culturally around sex. Tessa, thank you very much for introducing me to The Pleasure Mechanics. Those two, Chris and Charlotte, are true podcast professionals. And a great team of embodiment experts. So we learned so much doing a few of their exercises, actually, when we were traveling on vacation. And you will really enjoy this incredible interview with The Pleasure Mechanics. Let's hear it from Chris and Charlotte. Welcome, Charlotte and Chris of The Pleasure Mechanics. We've been waiting for this interview for quite a while as we followed your podcast of many years and many pleasures. Mm, we're so happy to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. 
And together we're the pleasure mechanics. So happy to be here Welcome. with you all. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank so we you. were talking about being at this stage of life as open nesters, which is sometimes has been, we haven't think it's restrictive because we've put all of our beautiful love and energy into our kids. And then we have this time that is opening in our lives. And because you've created so many openings, which is what you resonated with, with our podcast, like the idea of openings, I want to really discuss first your own openings. And I know you have a young child to give us a little personal background. Well, maybe you'll start with the genesis. How do you come about from 2006 to create this incredible, super relevant change, life-changing podcast? Oh, thank you. That's right. Well, so we met in 2006 in San Francisco through the erotic massage lineage and more specifically in the sexological bodywork training. Um, I was Charlotte's teacher and we both arrived into erotic massage as our path in life, really as our calling from really different places. Um, Myself through trauma, Charlotte through a real uh, spirit of service and devotion to pleasure. Um, But when we met, it was, you know, love at first sight. Um, And then we became partners very quickly. And three months later, uh, committed to doing this work together in the world. It was very much like we literally climbed to the top of a mountain on our first date and took one another's hands and did a swan dive. But, you know, the theme of opening, we were open really in spirit since the beginning, because when we met, I was in a poly kinky community in San Francisco. Um, Charlotte, you know, I'll pass the baton Mm -hmm. to you like you were um, an erotic masseuse at the time, touching hundreds of bodies. Um, but we actually went on our first date because Charlotte asked my boyfriend out. I did. I asked him on a date, but I didn't have any experience with the poly kinky world. So I didn't know what the etiquette was. So I said, bring Chris if you want. Um, so the three of us went on our first date together. Yeah. And (laughs) then we stuck, but he remains a really good friend. Yeah. Yeah, and some of our first dates together were to sex parties and erotic community events because we were both really in this world in San Francisco working as erotic masseuses and teaching workshops. So we were naked with hundreds of bodies a year. Um, And we really shared a commitment to this work. And when I say this work, erotic massage, it's a gay lineage that came out of the AIDS crisis that's devoted to serving and lavishing bodies with erotic touch. Um, And I, my first job out of college was with the granddaddy of erotic massage and I fell into this work and it was life changing for me, changed the way I made love. And when Charlotte and I met, we were both trained in massage and erotic massage and absolutely exploded with the erotic possibilities there. And everyone we talked to kept kind of hearing our story and sighing and saying, oh, wouldn't that be nice to know massage? And, you know, again, I'll pass it back to Charlotte, but um, the people we were working with were often in touchless, sexless relationships. And so we saw the need to kind of take what we were learning in these wild classrooms of San Francisco, where we got naked and practiced erotic massage with each other and share it via the then new technology of online video. But so much of this was really birthed out of our, our shared commitment to to the beauty of erotic touch and, and to a yeah. commitment to sharing because uh, some people yes. get a skill but they don't share it and you're you, you mm. are willing to share your knowledge and your experiences mm. absolutely and then we devoted years to creating those online teachings and sharing them with the world 
And then we decided at some point that we wanted to have a family and we wanted to do that with somebody that we knew and were in relationship with and was part of our family. So that was sort of another opening up of finding somebody to create family with. Um, and there was really a process of yeah. discernment, conversations, making asks, finding what was right, what didn't work until we found somebody that we had a real spark with, that we adored, that we asked if they wanted to make a child with us. Mm -hmm. And he said he couldn't wait to see what we could create together. And so we have a donor. He is wonderful. Him and his boyfriend um, are part of our family and we go on vacations oh. together. And okay. he is, he, they are part of our world and we're so yeah. grateful. And we yeah. have. So now we have a seven-year-old child. And in that interim time period, I also had a near-death health crisis. Uh, Charlotte's mom was with cancer and has since passed. So we had these many waves of change in our relationship and... So while we were sexually monogamous for most of that time, partly because we were just moving around and building a business and living in a lot of places, our hearts were really open. Um, our ethic has always been really open, but it's only in the past year. It's actually coming on right now a year where our child was well enough. I was coming into this health renaissance and our sexual uh, oh. selves became centered Awakening. again. Mm -hmm. It was a whole awakening <laughs> and a much needed one, right? And so many of us find ourselves at that place, like back to what you were speaking about in the introduction of coming into a new season of our life, a new chapter where we've done well, right? We were looking around. We had this beautiful daughter who was resourced at a great school, happy. We had this wonderful marriage, but both of us were feeling a little lackluster, stagnant, a little stagnant. And we realized all of the community, all of the activities we were doing were oriented around our kid, right? Like I hadn't allowed myself to center my own desires and wants. And so I was back after 15 years of this work and really decades, a lifetime of it for both of us. I was back to the square one of like, what do I want? Mm -hmm. Who am I right now at 42 in chronic pain, rurally living with a child and queer and trans? <laughs> and I had a moment of despair, like, will what I want be even available to me? Um, will anyone want to share that with me? Will I be able to find partners in that? And we kind of, again, held one another's hands and did a swan dive into the unknown. And it's been a glorious new season of our lives this past year. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So tell us some of so that. Here we because are. I think when the personal, when we talk about the personal um, discomfort and opening at the same time, holding those, how, yeah. how did that work and how was some of the communication? Because I think you're going to teach that mm -hmm. with as, as you have with other couples and in so many of your podcasts about and your writings, incredible writings, just brilliant about, about pleasure, about feeling our pleasure and knowing that we still have so much understanding and consent for others' pleasures and, 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 and the, the breakdowns that sometimes happen. If you want to talk about that, please. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really, so, right, we've been doing this work together for 15 years, talking about not only pleasure, but relationship connection. Um, and for so many of those years, we were on the exact same page in the same season, really journeying together, immersed mm -hmm. and engaged together as erotic partners. You know, we were making the baby together, raising the baby together, like in it, you know. <laughs> and at this moment of renaissance, we found ourselves at very different seasons. We had gotten through my health crisis together, but now I was well and horny and ready to go. And Charlotte was 
approaching what would be like a year long of hospice, basically, of concluding her mother's very long journey with cancer and entering a whole new stage of caretaking and mourning and grieving. And I felt in a really different stage. And what felt important for me was um, self-care and self-connection and my own pleasure practices Mm -hmm. to like revive myself after a decade of caretaking a young child, a partner and my mother. And I felt, I felt like that was like, I was interested in like reconnecting to Eros in all these other ways, but it didn't feel right or interesting to me to do that through other people yet. I feel really excited about that in the future and I feel like it's coming closer and closer, but it's actually not where my primary interest is right now. Yeah. And so we had to look at each other and be like, wow, we're in different seasons. I don't want to be held back. You don't want to be rushed. Yeah. And in massage, we have this tech, the uh, theory called the resilient edge of resistance, right? So when you ride a tense muscle, you don't want to go too hard nor too soft. And this becomes a relational practice of meeting one another right where we're at, right? And in kink, in all sorts of ways, we have to meet one another right at that edge of not too much, but not too little. And so relationally, we had to do that where I had to say yes to my desires. I put up a dating profile and started going on dates. And without Charlotte by my side, right? Without my partner, without my best friend. I took amazing photos of you. (laughs) (laughs) And she became my wig man. My joke is my wife packs me snacks for my dates um, because of my type one diabetes. You know, I pack like all sorts of gear and snacks and sex toys. And she's right there rooting me on. But yeah, it opened up a whole well of discomfort and awkward and new questions for us as lifelong partners who've been working together as well full time for 15 years we had new conversations Mm -hmm. right um but with that i was surprised actually at how much joy there was it was like it being able to weather some feelings of discomfort and uncomfortable feelings allowed us to move through so much and then there was actually so much compersion so much joy and excitement for you Mm. being able to witness your glow as you came back um and you did such a beautiful job making me feel important and valuable and central um in your life and so i it was it, I was surprised at how 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 joyful and sweet and fun it's been to witness you for anyone who may not know what compersion is you want to just define I mean I've taken it I, I I've extrapolated the word compersion way past it's poly meeting but go ahead and teach us because it's one of those things that not everybody knows <laughs> mm, I want to hear how you think about it too um so we think about compersion as feeling pleasure at someone else's joy right exactly so the feeling with when you witness someone you love experiencing pleasure and joy and you know it's sometimes um opposed to jealousy but i actually think jealousy and compersion can live right alongside one another hand in hand and sometimes jealousy gives us the spark to feel compersion um yeah how have you been thinking about she's going to answer that but i'm i'm blown away (laughs) by the honesty in the vulnerability of your relationship i'm just at awe of mm-hmm. how much you accept each other where and that's where it started for you that's why you can enjoy this conversion because you accepted each other honestly and lovingly to wherever stage you were and that was the basis for you to really move on you at your own pace and you at your own pleasures and that is yeah. that um. is incredible 
impressive for That's me beautiful. that I can meet somebody real that can actually do that because we all maybe talk about it and well that's the relationship i want that's what i need but you actually doing it and living it and i am i'm at all and i salute <laughs> you for for that ability and that's why you are in in a stage of opening where you not only accepting each other but you also now can enjoy each other pleasure and this is kudos and, and bring it back 100%. we hope i mean I, I mean i know that charlotte was saying she still finds pleasure in Eros, but by more privately and in her own slower exploration. And I think mm -hmm. I would say as me, as, a, as an older, as an older woman that I'm embracing my beautiful aging, I feel like I love pleasures in new ways too. And so, and so being softer in that, and then being able to say to Amir, you know, I need more Tantra and slow massages and things that do give me that. And I don't have that with him. So him wanting to allow that for me is the compersion, even if there's jealous moments as you were saying they live side by side and then like you said compersion is not just in a polyamorous relationship about sexuality we what you said about pleasure and joy so i see it as this extension of wow when he's happy even if i he's much busier at night and i'm and busier during the day and i have more time to myself and sometimes i don't always like that i would like more time with him I still can say to myself, you know what? I have compersion. He has a radio program. He has other interests. I, I have compersion for his joy, even if I feel a little neglected. Sure. So that's the, yeah. the, the, the extension that we continue to do in compersion. That is a beautiful word that I feel like the poly community gave us. But, but you are living, living proof that uh, compersion mm -hmm. lives on and lives on with, with, with people that you care about, um, to, to to its most to, to its utmost potential i mean when when you decided that you can accept each other wherever stage you were how, how did that feel i mean did it feel uh, um did you feel free did you feel liberated that you can do that because i i'm sure that in a moment of that it happened oh my god i'm i want more uh, but i want to go at my own pace but when it happened when you converged how did it feel? Did it feel liberated? I feel like once you divest from the idea that you have to be the only one that creates pleasure and fulfillment for someone you love so much and begin to think about being it, it being a collective experience with the world to create fulfillment for you, like that you are that I am a part of a team in the world to have your life be like fulfilling and erotic and stimulating in the way that you most want it's very freeing well, because no, you're it's most responsible for yours yeah above all else. and then yeah. also that then it has me turn my attention to myself yeah. and say if i'm wanting all of that for you then what do i want for myself and inviting and celebrating your journey and you going out of the house and having your adventures really um made me have to look at what do i want and what am i serving myself what am i inviting into my own life and to expand that for myself in ways that felt really nourishing yeah, but how did it feel i mean it felt <laughs> freeing uh, uncomfortable uh -huh. and beautiful yeah and i really want to name that plurality of feelings because you know i thank you for all of your kind words yeah and i have felt sometimes like a bumbling teenager mess in all of this and i've hit my own edges of awkward and charlotte's been such an amazing like one of the beauties of this is i have kind of my in-house 
coach, you know, <laughs> and we get to sit on a bed together, like best friends that we are. And I weep and I cry and I struggle and I flail and she steadies me and she reminds me of my values. Um, but that flail has been really important. And I want to name here adjacent to the jealousy conversation. Like I have felt all sorts of feels with my new lover. So a couple of months ago, so I've been dating for about a year and a couple of months ago, I really fell hard for somebody unexpectedly and a straight man, no less. And this opened up a whole can of feels for me. Um, and I've had to hit edges that I hadn't hit in many, many years in my queerness, in my self-confidence. Um, and it's been humbling. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded that we can feel things first and then our brain likes to make up stories. And when we have visceral feels about our lover, like a, of course we have feels about the people we love and are being intimate with, and in some cases having sex with, those visceral feels come first and then our brain starts mapping meaning onto it. And what I noticed is that my brain had this lifetime of scripts and cliches and stories about quote unquote love and what it meant to be in love, what it meant to be loved, what especially what it meant to be loved by a man. Uh -huh. Like I hadn't really like danced in these pools for a long time as a radical queer person, as a trans non-binary person. All of a sudden I was wearing his motorcycle jacket and had like all of these cliches flying at me. I had to flail a bit and feel all of these visceral feelings and over time with discernment sort out how I actually quote unquote felt, yeah, right. right? So we have our feelings and then we have our feelings about our feelings and the stories about our feelings. And I just wanna encourage people to take time and slow things down and storytell, talk to the people you trust, get in that zone of safety with your loved ones and let yourself feel it all. And don't worry if it means that you're jealous, right? Does it mean that you're jealous? Or for me, I discovered this place of being protective. And there was this whole visceral feeling around sexual safety and feeling protective of myself, of my family, that corrected some behavior that needed to be corrected and found some new boundaries that needed to be found. And like, if I hadn't paid attention to that, or if I had just quickly labeled it, oh, I'm jealous. No, I wasn't jealous. I was feeling protective about unsafe behavior. And I had to get to the core of that feeling over time and with support and discernment. I just want to say to our audience that as Chris is had that little monologue here, Charlotte is looking at her with admiration, almost appreciation <laughs> and joy and has a big, huge smile on this. You know, I, I'm I, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that because that means a lot of your relationship and the openness that you have provided. We always see the opening comes after the kids have left the nest. You are actually you have a mm. seven year old, but you have mm -hmm. found those the opening that we talk about in the open nesting stage. So, you know, you kind of like accelerated that. Yeah, I need my time now and I'm not going to wait till uh, my kid daughter would be out of the house in 11, 12 years. Well, what I'd like <laughs> to say about that is the conscious communication, because you started it young. And I think being a non-binary person and coming out requires that kind of personal journey of how do I communicate clearly? And then the fact that you've come together and you've yeah. created permission and safety and space to explore. And it's not something natural that I think most people are able to step into. So I do wonder if you mm -hmm. can advise like, some of those first steps for people that are that have never considered or maybe they're harboring all kinds of feelings about their sexuality or gender gender 
or they're just want to explore pleasures in ways that they never thought that they should or could or all the things that we know shame us and so can you start addressing the, that please <laughs> i mean i think that a place to start is your curiosities like what do you feel curious about if some people don't know what they want don't know what they desire yet but there's a there's a spark or an interest that you might feel like you want to move closer to and then bring some space and some inquiry about what what might be in the way what might be feeling like you can't go closer to them like there's so much unpacking that we need to do in order to be able to fully accept and live and embody our pleasures it's a it's a huge process and a huge life journey that's never ending but i think a place to start is unpacking around curiosity hmm. but i think before curiosity becomes permission right and so i think the stage you're speaking to when couples are feeling, you know, maybe their kids have left the nest and just to play with that metaphor for a minute, you know, before birds completely fly the nest, they get their wings and they leave the nest and then they come back and you're still attached, but they're flying. And yeah. I think as parent culture, we're thought, we're trained to think about parent as this like 18 year journey, but you know, I've thought about it as a kite string where, you know, they, she was on our chest for the first many years. This was a <laughs> fought for child for many years of infertility. We loved this baby. And um, anyway, we, we held her very close for very long. And as she gets more independent, we realized that I had more time and space. I had more mental freedom. I had more creative energy. And I didn't have to wait that 11 years. And so that permission slip, I think for us as queer people, you know, and I've been queer and out and kinky since I was a teenager. Um, and so I've lived my whole life on this edge of giving myself permission to be authentically me against the odds and even when punished for doing so giving myself that permission again and again and giving it to others. Right. And so I want to give whoever is hearing this permission to look at their lives and look at the ways the scripts and the shoulds and the shame that guide us so much around sexuality and relationships and marriage and family structures. Like, I almost want to say, if you were queer, what would you do? If you were had no rules, if there were no expectations of you as a quote, a man or a woman, what it meant to be a good husband or a good wife. I know so many friends who are literally saying to me, I'm waiting till the kids leave the house and then I'm going to divorce my wife and have a new start. Why? Like, what are you doing with the next why? decade? Why? Our lives are in the moment. Why? Right. why? And why not turn to your wife now and say, what would bring us more? So this is if you can't get to the place of opening up fully sexually, because that's not maybe who you are or what you want. We can all open up to the erotic spark. And for us, we think about the erotic, as Audre Lorde defined it, as that which brings us vitality, that which lights us up. So for you, it's a radio show at night and all of those hours flipping through songs is so worth it for the joy of that good playlist, right? And for someone else, it's that long massage. And for someone else, it's long hikes. I'll never go on the hikes that Charlotte wants to go on. So one of her time, and part of that is medical, part of that is proclivity. One of her top priorities right now is hiking buddies, people she can literally go to other summits with while I'm ascending my peaks <laughs> with my lovers. Right? And so this conversation with a person you love of like, what lights you up? What pleasures have you lost? What have you always wanted to do? And now the time is ticking, you know, let's get to it. 
And almost dying is a really good shortcut to this kind of vitality, by the way, like people who have health crises, people who face mortality often have this like renaissance and we don't have to wait till we're in crisis to choose to live more. No. As we continue this intimate conversation, we want to take a moment and thank our sponsors for this episode. At Dipsy Stories, you will find a treasure trove of audio erotica designed to turn you on and stimulate your mind. You'll find everything from immersive stories where you can fall in love with the characters and let them take you on a wild adventure or simple soundscapes designed to lull you into a beautiful, calm sleep. You can even fall asleep to the sound of a lover strumming a guitar or typing on their laptop across the room. Dipsy does an amazing job meeting all of our erotic imaginations where they're at. From mild to wild, from immersive to playful, you will find something to light you up and get you curious. And thanks to our friends at Dipsy, you can explore this amazing resource absolutely free. Go to dipsystories.com slash pleasure for an extended 30-day free trial all access pass on us. That's dipsystories.com slash pleasure for a free 30-day trial to this incredibly powerful tool of psychogenic audio stimulation. Check it out at dipsystories.com slash pleasure, and you will find all of the generous offers from our sponsors at pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox. That's pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox to find some of our favorite pleasure tools and get the best deals from our sponsors. Cheers and back to the conversation with our friends at the Open Nesters podcast. So like what people don't know about your podcast, so I want you to give the framing of, of the extent of the things that you yeah. deal with, right? like, because people can then tune into the, to that learning in a really deeper way. It, to do. Yeah, I wanted to say something about the past, because when I listened to it, I was in awe thinking about how two people can talk about something that is so taboo in so many societies and so much... Uh, uh, you know, you can't really articulate it properly. You speak about it. You can might as well be on the Martha Stewart morning show talking about recipes and dishes. <laughs> you, ha- you have that ease <laughs> about you talking about something so intimate and so taboo. And I now I wanted to ask how that become, but I don't have to ask that question anymore because I know why. Because the relationship that you have are a uh, relationship of openness, honesty, and you speak your heart, and this is what exactly you've done on the podcast. So that's the intro I'm giving to uh, Tessa's. Uh, right, no, and Chris question. fought for being a non-binary person and coming out in a time that not not only it's still hard to do that, but I'm sure even 20 years ago it was even harder. And our daughter has taught us that too as a queer woman. So I feel like being sensitive, mm-hmm. and some people don't have that opportunity to learn from their kids, and yet some of them are not tuning into learning from their kids that could be going through that. And there's so much learning we can do from that. So, but yes, I mean, mm. if you want to talk about knowing mm. anybody that can oh. that our age that yeah. is made that transition is always good stories, and also talking about all the topics that you cover. So, 
Mm. You know, we have been called the wholesome cooking show of sex podcasts. <laughs> I love that you say that again. It's, it's... Um, and we actually added, you know, sometimes in the intro, I say, you know, honest, explicit and wholesome conversations <laughs> about sex, pleasure and joy, because, yeah, we do cover it all. So we've been at this for 15 years. We have eight online courses and we started with erotic touch. But then we quickly learned both on the table as we touched hundreds of bodies, right, to receive quality touch. There's the whole skill set of receiving and the skill set of receiving brings us into things like placement of attention and focusing on how we feel inside our bodies, which I now teach as erotic interoception, right? The ability to feel arousal in our bodies, to build that charge, to hold that charge. So over the 15 years, you know, we now have a community of over 10,000 students around the world, and we've been in deep, intimate conversation with them. And our question has always been like, how does sex actually live and breathe in your lives, right? Because um, we can teach about kinky sex, and we do, but to get kinky with your partner, you have to feel safe, you have to be able to communicate, right? There's all sorts, you have to know what you want, right? Again, back to this question always of like, what do I want? Who am I as an erotic creature? So many of us have never even had the opportunity to ask ourselves that question outside of the scripts and the shoulds, right? So we covered all, we have 400 plus episodes and we do single topic episodes so we can do deep dives in this conversation and just like thread it week by week. And some people listen from start to end. Some people pick out topics. Um, but as a survivor, as you said, so I'm also, you know, queer, non-binary, also a survivor of child sexual abuse and lots of trauma and rape. And as a survivor, I always knew the importance of addressing trauma. Um, but what's become important to us is all of us actually have a traumatized relationship with sexuality to one degree or another. None of us really inherently feel safe as erotic creatures. And so there's so much work just to get to the point of safe social connection to relax into arousal. I covered a lot there. Wow, so much. But really what we start with is touch, right? And this is when you say, where do we start? Can you get a five-minute foot massage from your partner? Because in that five-minute foot massage, we're teaching connection, communication, relaxation, you know, modulating touch, receiving touch, offering touch, focusing. Receiving. Right. And so we set couples up for wins, right? Because it's not fair to be like, I want to be spanked to your, you know, husband of many years. And it's like, well, that's really overwhelming. But if you can start building wins and start practicing together and massage is such a luxurious, pleasurable place for couples to start often, although not for everyone, some people like to start with a spanking. And for me, that was a good entry point. So I don't know. Start where you start. Start where you start. Um, And also you have, I mean, the range that I listen to from, which is my background, a little bit more of the mindful sexuality. And because I did mindfulness Mm -hmm. training and I teach teachers mindfulness training. And yet sexuality in that way is so important. And yet you talk about mindful sexuality in very clear ways. I loved how your episode dealt with that. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the range of pegging. And there was an interest in pegging so much that I think you have three or four episodes to how deep it can go. We were like, whoa, the range of this is so good and vast. I mean, and yeah, I mean, and when, and when people yeah. interact and also 
I get want to get back to the age time, like how people feel at these different ages, as far as all the things that change in their bodies. So I want to make sure we go there. But did you have a mm. question? You I, I just wanted to say that when the first time I heard your podcast a few months ago, I had to call Tessa and says, this is incredible. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, we often hear that, like kind of where have you been or why didn't I hear this sooner? And for a lot of us at a certain age, like there is this sense of um, I know who I am. I you know, have my career. I have my kids. But do I have a sense of an erotic self? Have I ever had that? Because so many of us, right, went from high school where we were like under duress, you know, and into relationships. And we might even be in a really happy, beautiful 30-year relationship, but still have the opportunity to turn towards one another with that beginner's mind. So what mindful sex came out of my health crisis and my mindfulness-based stress reduction training kicked in, and it really helped me through that crisis. And it also reminded me how much of our approach is really just anchored in these same concepts of paying attention moment to moment without judgment. But that last piece without judgment is really hard in this erotic culture. And judgment first of ourselves, like, I mean, and, yeah. and in this media of, especially for women who have, who are getting older and then they're judging their wrinkles or their fat or their everything. It's just like, wow, how many things we have to have to deconstruct in our programming in order to feel erotic. I mean, and so getting high helps, I'll tell you that. I mean, I definitely think that that's a, that's a big win <laughs> for me. Like when I just takes it right to the, to the center of opening, so that helps a lot. And yet I wanted to know if there are other like, um, mm-hmm. thoughts that you have about how somebody can come into yeah. that so we could hear it today. Yeah, mm-hmm. so much of this is about managing your inhibitions. And yeah. so we talk about distractions and inhibitions. And a lot of us, we have these inhibitions that are not really ours, like the stuff about body, right? When you really turn to your partner, like, why do you love making love to me? What are our motivations for making love? You know, people want to feel, they want that body-to-body contact, they want closeness, they want play, they want thrill. Very few of us want a perfect-looking body to behold, right? Like, this is not a motivation for many of us, and yet it lives as a shame inside so many of us, because that's an acquired inhibition from culture. That's not yours. That's not real for you, if you really think about, like, what has made sex pleasurable for you in your life? What are your peak erotic experiences? So we can really learn to like take that step back. And again, this is a little bit of that Buddhism inspired, but like take a step back and like look at what is inhibiting us. What are our shame points? What distracts us from really turning ourselves over to the erotic experience? Um, What is inhibiting us from saying, even just saying out loud what we want? So many of us know what we want, but saying it out loud, we get tripped up because we are worried about feeling judged. We're worried about what that means about us as, you know, that you talked about pegging. So many men, they want anal play, but they're worried about it making them gay or queer, kinky in some way. But it's a part of their body. Of course, we want to explore this. So many men also want to submit and be submissive, uh, give themselves over to giving, right? All they want to do is give pleasure and submit. Um, But it's very hard for them to ask for that opportunity, right? And even not even to gender this, what do we all want? We want opportunities uh, for thrill, for belonging, for joy, for pleasure. Can we ask for that? What inhibits us? Um, Help me here. 
Help me here. <laughs> Bring it home with some practices. Um, I mean, there's always the eye gazing, and there's always the, but that, and so for some people that's hard, or or sitting in a really. I think the practice of meditation for a, a person for himself first. And sometimes like I know with Amir, his meditation is getting into his music. So I will come into his space, for example, when he's, when he's finding his music, when he has joy around his music to be as present as he can, that's his time of most presence. So I will step mm. into that in order to create more joy and eroticism in our play. And in order, mm. because I can do that because, because first of all, I love to move and dance and he appeals to me that way. So I don't know that there's yes. one yeah. way that I want. This is what you should do. This is what you. It's actually never yeah, one yeah. way. It's actually never no, one way. Never. So some people, it's hiking or, or just lo- you know, lying in the sun and doing nothing and letting the sun stir them. Or for some people, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's intense competition, like that. Or, or and 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 then they can come through to some kind of a a new adrenaline, I think. And then together they can they can find more um, something new breaking open from that hike, that yeah. creates eroticism. Or there, or there can be, as we said, playing with kink slowly, or, or, or with with force. I mean, I don't, I don't. Mm-hmm. So all of that. I mean, what you're pointing to here, it's such a beautiful way of asking, like, what do you want to experience, right? And so it's like, what do you want is kind of this like very demanding question. What do you want to experience? How do you want to feel? Um, are you looking for relaxation or thrill? Do you want to feel comforted and held or do you want to feel kind of challenged and pushed, right? Um, and a lot of this is in our kinky sex course, we really guide couples in getting specific. And I find the more specific you can get, the more permission that gives you to like, it's not just I want to be spanked, but I want to be spanked tenderly and lavished with touch and fed grapes afterwards as aftercare yes. and made to feel like a pretty princess that can't get enough, right? <laughs> and that is a very different spanking than I want to feel like a bad girl thrown over your knee, roughed up, and then left in a heaving puddle, right? And spit on maybe. That's really hot for someone too. And the difference between those two spankings <gasps> so is different. the difference between a win that you'll remember forever in your relationship and it will set you aglow three years later just thinking about it, right? And that's the power of eroticism. One experience can give us pleasure forevermore by the power of recall, right? right? This stuff lights us up. But to get there, we have to, when we say communicate, again, not specific enough, we need to be able to be guided and we have all these like interactive worksheets and follow along exercises. Because for me, that's how I learn. I learn through both repetition and embodied experience, which we call pleasure practice, right? So we invite you into a single focus activity. For the next three minutes, you're going to do this, focus on this, and ask yourself this question. And that is something we can say yes to versus these really broad things of like, oh, what are your fantasies, baby? Like for so many of us, that's way too big. It's inapproachable. We hit all of our inhibitions. But for three minutes, tell me how you want your hair stroked. Maybe I can do that. And then we create a win that creates again, when I'm saying like the learning in the body, how would we learn any sport, any music, any embodied activity? It's through pleasure, repetition, reward, right? We learn through repetition and reward as human beings. And so how do we create that in the erotic realm? That's what we've been up to as pleasure mechanics for 15 years. We're really devoted to it because we love seeing those aha moments, the moments couples write to us and say, we're in our own renaissance 
because I finally gave her that five minute foot massage. Dot dot dot. Yay! Right? <laughs> yeah. Incredible. That's the good That's stuff. That's the great stuff. <laughs> this, this is the satisfaction that you get from really sharing your knowledge and expertise in so many ways. And also not not your expertise, but your experience of how you feel and how you know your communication skills are, are are beyond beyond me. I mean, I'm just thinking about how well you articulate yourself now in in your podcast. That's why it's so relatable to so many people because it speaks their language. It doesn't it does yeah. not use a bombastic words or, or or things that people cannot chew and and and, and understand. It's relatable, and it's because of your personalities, your 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 ability to to do that in between the two of you, Chris and Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And that's what really comes across from all that. That's my comment about that. Thank you so much. And, and that's you. why I feel like the, the, um, the difference and, but it's so bombastic in our society, like, right. like what, what porn is and what people feel like they've experienced so much of, and they've then watched that they're supposed to feel a certain way. And, and as, and as we get older, if we want to explore that is like, we need a whole new level of erotic uh, visuals to, to be able to start thinking. Because I think a lot of people don't know what what turns them on at all. It's like it comes from this such a discomfort. We still learning what turns us on. Absolutely. I mean, I you always, know, I and always. and and then and that's why we're we're fortunate that we're able to we're securely attached enough to have, have a poly relationship, so we can allow each other other places because that new relationship energy helps helps to promote that, and yet. How how would you tell a monog I mean a monogamous couple that wants to start and is not at a point that they can allow each other to go off and do different things, you know what what's what's a first step? I mean that's what or, or, I'm or in your still words, coming what's back the first to. Win? What's the first win that yeah. a couple can take in order to make a step forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really about identifying what lights you up, as we were talking about earlier, like what makes you feel alive and feel filled up and in full of joy. And how can you make time for more of that, even if it's separate, even if it is with your friends? Can you make time for each other to go do things in life that feel that give you life? that um so you're kind of encouraging each other to take space separately as individuals even if it is not with other you know lovers at all it's just about enjoying other aspects of life and then uh build from there allow yourself to have this kind of open idea of what you want to be enjoying mm -hmm. so we always talk yeah. about this like a our, our our infinity sign is that you going out and you're bringing back to your relationship what it is that, that you feel fed and full more from so that you can bring more love back. So that's, the, that's mm -hmm. the concept of the open nest. And yet I think that's still that curiosity thing, like they don't know, so how do they start asking each other? Um, I, and, it, and it does come from first maybe a lot of touch for you to even like, and trials and, and not being upset if it doesn't work and knowing that by trying something it could not work and then coming back to it yeah. again this is not what i want and all those baby steps those iterations <laughs> letting it be emergent right and i think as charlotte wisely said starting with a non-sexual pleasure joining a pool league um a book club even right like as chaste as that sounds it forces the conversation of how are we going to make time for this in our life who's going to take the car that night do we need to attend to childcare? If you join the pool league, are you coming home at 11 or do you stay until the bar closes at two? Because mm -hmm. 
Because if your expectation is, oh, pool's over at 1030, I'm expecting you in bed at 11, and then you don't come home till two, I have feelings about that. And that's very similar to how the conversation might go if you're out on your first date, but really like pre-gaming it. And another thing that we really need to tap into here is the power of our brains to elicit a body experience from an idea alone. So Charlotte recently met my new lover. It was a big moment for all of us. He was nervous as hell. And what I did with each of them is I really pre-gamed like, if this, then that. What about this or that? Would you rather be here or there? How would you feel if this or that? And through those if this or that conversations, we were able to all really feel into our truths mm. and make requests. And then it went beautifully. And we had this kind of like pre-gamed and also built-in pivot points right? So coffee first, and then if we're all feeling it, dinner. But building in that pivot point of after coffee, we might say goodbye, right? That gives the brain a lot of comfort that, okay, I can get through coffee. Ex- I'm not committed to dinner. Yeah, Mir and I talk about even yeah. places that I will try with him, but if I want to take an Uber home, I will. You know, it, it, so these yeah. conversations <laughs> are so um, important for us to have, and that's part of this great conscious communication that I do feel like the queer community has taught us. My daughter, certainly I watch her with her partner. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. I wish I could do, I wish I knew this earlier. Mm-hmm. Is there any last question? Cause I know you no, I, has I, to step I need to go, but I, I am, mm-hmm. I am blessed mm-hmm. and, and feel so lucky to, to have met you both uh, such mm-hmm. authentic humans. That is, mm-hmm. it is for me, it is like, wow. I was able to see the light. It is incredible to see, watch, and witness the the true love that in between the two of you. And I just see you over Zoom. So thank you for giving us the time to interview you. I gotta go. Thank you. Thank you. More to come, my friend. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I think that there are so many other areas unexplored, and I don't know that I necessarily have questions, although I will say about the um, like things like lube or things like women and when they get older and things like I don't know what you've helped deal with with pleasures for the sexual pieces that as we age, I think that would be a helpful area for whatever you can shed light or help with if you've dealt mm. with that uh, in mm. some of your work. And, co- and do you actually do one on one coaching? I mean, do you do as mm. I didn't ask you that? <laughs> um. Well, we focus mostly on all of our online work, our podcast, so we can reach a lot of folks. Um, we do offer one-on-one coaching um, on a very small basis. Um, so if that calls to you, um, the first step for everyone, if you want, is to go to pleasuremechanics.com slash free, and you can get enrolled in our free online course that puts you in direct contact with us. But what I want to say about aging and about opening up and about maybe even getting a little queer because Mm -hmm. opening up often involves folks getting a little queer for the first time in your life, whether that's your first threesome. Um, I would argue that polyamory in itself is pretty queer. Um, And so when I say queer, I mean, you don't have rules anymore. You don't have scripts. Queer literally means other for us. When we reclaimed this word as a, it was used as an epithet, as a threat, as a punishment. And in the reclamation of it, is the you know our flag is a rainbow because it's the spectrum it's all possibilities 
So giving yourself that permission slip, not being overwhelmed by that, and then not playing into the social scripts. And so we have so many myths about aging and sex that are lies, that are lies. Some of the clients we have, some of the people in our community that are having the best sex of their life are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we hear this all the time. All the time. That people write to us and they say after their kids have left the house, they have more time, they have more energy, and they are literally having the best sex of their lives. And I really want people to know that because I feel like it's so counter to the ideas that we have culturally around sex. And part of that, I think, is also that the scripts then start um, un un unraveling yeah. the way people are having sex shifts where they may be more focused on slowing down and focusing on her pleasure and perhaps not being focused focused as much on an erection having to be there. Um, yeah. But that's not always the case. But th I think that it's really beautiful to know that that sex can keep getting better and richer and sweeter as the years go on. Yeah. And so much of that is that expansiveness, right? We have been performing sex for so much of our life. According to these should I keep saying shoulds and scripts. But if we really look into those two words, how much of your expectations about what a sexual encounter looks like, is supposed to feel like, how you're supposed to move or behave, right? So much of that is pre-scripted and is laden with shoulds and not really gives us the chance to play. When we invite you into play over performance, playfulness is open-ended, it's pleasure-based, it's emergent, it's relational, and play gives you the permission to just enjoy, right? And so, a beautiful lovemaking session, yes, it might involve some oral sex, it might involve some intercourse, it might involve hands on genitals, but it might also involve a lot of full body touch, a lot of breast stimulation, massage, and that flowing, in, I really want to get a sense for people that you can flow in and out of these states of excitement, right, where you're getting aroused, and enjoyment, where you're savoring it. And we can have many of those cycles when we get out of this, what we would call balloon sex narrative, where you build it up and up and up, you have an ejaculation and it's over. Instead, we're inviting people into just this very expansive state of pleasure, asking ourselves the question of what would bring you pleasure right now? Is that a foot massage, a butt massage, some cunnilingus? I don't know, um, a spanking, right? There's so many options of how bodies can touch and connect. And we just need an expansive playground to do so. Love, so I it's an invitation. I love that invitation because in mindfulness, we yes. learn about that. And, and that's how I really operate with my lover. So I go much longer with him because mm -hmm. we spend time in an expansive way. And it's always yeah. that arousal and then enjoyment and then noticing what it is that's coming next. And, yes. and it's such a, there's so much joy in that that does bring out a whole nother, another cellular expression, expansion and bliss that we never know we can mm. get, get to, which is why getting older and having better sex is so true. And I can definitely attest to it. So, so people put a lot of pressure on themselves about orgasms and they feel like that is what defines so much of sexuality. So I did want to talk a little bit more about that, if you, if you will. Yeah. Okay. So orgasm, there's so much here for people. It's such a fraught, like within that big O is so many of the questions as we were saying about receiving, about worthiness, about taking your time. Um, Charlotte, maybe you can speak about some of the coaching you've been doing recently where, you know, the nice thing about coaching is through that one-on-one -on -one attention, we can get the story of, oh, when my partner gives me cunnilingus after three minutes, we are done. 
And it's like, well, three minutes might not be enough, sweetheart, right? And we can start inviting the expansion of, as you said, of like that willingness to receive, um, to give ourselves the chance to build that arousal. But within that arousal, a lot of people hit a capacity and arousal threshold where they can't build up enough arousal. So there's just a lot of points for a lot of different people about why they struggle with this question of orgasm. So I can't really do it justice as part of what I want to say. But within this question, what is alive for you um, is very individual. And whatever you're experiencing it, A, you're not alone, and B, there are practices for that. And that's really what we're so focused on is if we can kind of isolate these different moments, right? So is it a question of comfort? Is it a question of safety? Is it a question of building arousal? Or is it a question of climax and release? Because what orgasm is, it's a pivot point between excitement and enjoyment. It's a threshold. It's like that waterfall. And you have to build up enough arousal to get there and then be able to release to go into that enjoyment phase. And so again, we can practice that pivot moment. We can practice these different ways of creating these little mini cycles of excitement and enjoyment. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to say about orgasm. But I also think I just really want to release the pressure valve on orgasm because we also have a lot of myths there and these listicles of seven different kinds of orgasms and cervical orgasms versus G-spot orgasms. There are no different types of orgasms. And as pleasure sex educators, for us to say that is a divergence from a lot of what sex educators would tell you of like, there's all these different types of orgasms and you really should explore them all. And that whole attainment mindset in sex is really antithetical to enjoyment. An orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm, no matter what the source of the arousal that generated it, it can be foot fetish, it can be neck stimulation, it can be psychogenic arousal in your brain alone. Wherever that arousal come from, it counts. So what turns you on? I don't care if you never explore cervical pleasures. If that's not of interest to you, cervical being anal. Cervical being intravaginal up at your cervix or anal, right? Um, the idea that you have to have a G-spot orgasm or a squirting orgasm to be more enlightened, right? The Tantra community has put a lot of pressure on orgasms while they say that they're relieving it because they talk so much about female ejaculation as this divine thing. And then women don't feel complete if they're not ejaculating and men feel performative about making their women squirt, right? No, no, like we can explore our capacity for ejaculation, but it is no more enlightened than any other kind of orgasm. So this is about getting off those status ladders, getting out of that attainment mindset and just being with what is real for you. Sexuality happens on spectrums along which we move over time. It really gives us permission to think about our own lives. What gives us pleasure, joy, belonging, connection, vitality? Um, what resources you? And that's going to be different when you're in a stage of grief and mourning versus a stage of like really horniness. Like there, And I have been in both of those stages, right? Like five years ago, I was near death and had zero interest in sex and was surviving only. And now I am voracious. <laughs> right? um, it's still in chronic pain, but voraciously horny. 
And it just reminds us that we move along spectrums over time and seasons. We're not fixed sexual beings. And everyone's so different. I mean, when my mom passed away, I actually found so much sexual healing. My grief was about sexual healing. So both Mm. with my husband and my lover, I found so much sexual healing in my grief. So sexuality, so sex can also be, and so, so completely getting to the point where we don't think it's one way is right. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the acceptance that's been so beautiful in this podcast. And I think you've opened up so wide and I honestly, I want to wind down to ask you, I mean, you've given us where to reach you. And is there anything else that you feel like that's left unsaid that you'd like to say? Mm I just encourage people to keep exploring their own pleasure, knowing that there is no right way of doing it. There's no, there's, there's, there's nothing to achieve, but just is an inquiry to be in that can last a whole lifetime, can keep looking different. But if we bring a spirit of play and curiosity and compassion to ourselves and our lovers, if there are any of them, then I think we can really go on an exciting and interesting journey with our own bodies and with other people. And I think it's just an exquisite path to travel. Mm -hmm. And thank you both for all you're doing in the conversation you all are hosting. Um, And for the listeners tuning in, being part of this conversation matters. And it's part of creating a more pleasure, positive context in your life. So thanks for being part of this conversation and you can find us at pleasuremechanics.com and we will be there to serve you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for being here. So I'm glad you stayed tuned to the end of this incredible episode because the, the idea of how we celebrate our pleasures and how we find them within ourselves, almost meeting ourselves at the edge of our discomfort in order to allow more value and expansiveness. That's the, so many messages here were in relationship in our bodies about expansiveness. And, you know, I had to leave in the middle of the interview, but then I listened to the end of it, and it's really a lot of meat uh, for this interview in the last 10 minutes. And I'm second whatever Tessa is saying about staying all the way till the end. Look, I've uh, we interviewed a lot of people over here, over 70-some-odd episodes. And really, these people are so authentic. They are so accepting of each other the way they are. They've been together for, for many years. And they understand. They understand the erotic themes. They understand relationship. And their podcast is, is a proof that a lot of people listen to them and understand it as well. They give us full permission to be our authentic selves. So that's why to listen to them at this stage of life from my point of view and look, looking at how we can, not, we can dismantle all these lists of the kinds of ways we are in our, what, what people have labeled us, what life has labeled us, and then to go into our enjoyment. And then, you know, they talk about all these So it's the waves of life. It's the waves of arousal. It's the waves of enjoyment. And how do we experience what it is to be alive? And I want to talk something about permission. Tessa was talking about permission to be authentic, as Chris um, was mentioning that. It's also giving permission to others to be authentic to themselves. And that is the real environment that we're all trying to create for ourselves. And it's all about what really brings us the joy, what brings us the pleasure. And 
eroticism bring us the vitality that we need to continue. And they talk about com- compersions and jealousy that gave, uh, that gave them the spark uh, for their relationship. So a lot of good stuff. I also believe the communication is... So erotic, can the practice of communicating and connecting and relaxing and giving and receiving and focusing on first our own embodiment and, and needs and desires and then other... And so that it's just it's getting back again into our bodies that's that helps us so much to to really feel that joy and 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 be able to move with different stages of life that they discuss. And it's also being comfortable with who you are and trying to build for yourself a safe as they say social environment uh to relax into arousal as they say. And I the, love that. Yeah, I love relaxing that, into arousal and, be, and being on a wave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that is that is a new concept for me. Although maybe I've I've experienced it in some fashion at times, but it's a new concept when it's verbalized and actually articulated the way they do. I would love to experience that more with you because it's definitely my <laughs> my evolving style that I was trying to get to with them about that orgasm is not the end goal, and they really made that clear at the end about how orgasms need to be dismantled, that there's not just different kinds to achieve, that we're all just in a new, our, our, the nuance of our bodies can, can enlighten us at all times. And that takes getting out of the definitions of what we think we have to perform about. Exactly. And it starts simply by being able to speak and communicate about all this subject matter that we always felt like a very, very taboo. Um, so... Uh, as they call them, as, as they say, they call them a wholesome cooking show. So uh, I, I think that it's a real wholesome conversation, and the proof is in the pudding. They have over 10,000 students that have taken their classes and uh, listening to their podcasts. So uh, I urge you also to listen to their podcasts. Pleasure Mechanics, yes. Pleasure Mechanics. And speaking of podcasts, we'd love you to subscribe to ours and to share it far and wide, especially with people at this stage of life, or even if they're younger, we're getting more audience that are becoming open nesters or, or looking ahead towards being in an open nest. So as Charlotte and Chris are, they are 42 with a young child, you can share this with people so that they can get ahead of the curve. So we hope that you will, and go, and you can either find us at the Open Nesters dot com or on all podcast yes. platforms that's the open nesters the the in the beginning double n in the middle and s at the end the open dot com and also you can find us on all social media and we would love to build that community and share so please help us build that community and thank you again for making our relationship our relationship based podcast and podcast be one of the top rated ones Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.